Welcome back to part two of Northern Community Falcons. In the last episode, we were discussing the politics of playing time. We will continue now with the remainder of part two. Most people don't know that Andre Owens played football as a freshman and did not, One year. <laughs> did not end up playing. But the interesting thing, I'll never forget this day, this is the politics versus talent kind of thing. Andre came in, played for me. I'll never forget being in the locker room. And um, and those who don't know Andre Owens, he ended up playing for the Indiana Pacers and playing, basket, I'm talking, playing basketball NBA. Well, we had an undefeated team that I coached that, that freshman year. And Andre came. I'll never forget the kids talking in the locker room when Andre showed up the first day he came. He came in there. Kids were in the locker room. I'm in the coach's office, but my door is open and I can hear. And the Andre's introducing himself to kids and kids, the politic part of it. Well, oh, yeah, who are you? Instead of the kids saying their name, they're like, oh, I'm the starting quarterback. They were establishing who they were. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. The kids were establishing, I'm the quarterback, I'm the receiver, I'm this, instead of even really saying their name. Right, and right. that was the politics, right, because they knew they owned those positions and they had had them since Pike Perry, Perry U football. Yeah. Andre came back with, they said, well, who are you? And Andre's like, well, I'm the starting point guard on the basketball team. Andre, <laughs> Andre Owens is, is a freshman. Yeah. He's like, I'm the starting point guard on the basketball team. To yeah. the football players in the football locker room. And I'll never forget kids. And probably you could hear the murmuring of kids. He's kind of cocky. You know what I mean? Yeah. When basketball season came, Andre Owens was the starting point guard on the basketball team. Right. But it was just kind of very interesting to watch how that whole thing came about. It's kind of like, and he ended up playing defensive end for us. And actually in our undefeated game, we, we were undefeated and Decatur Central was undefeated. And I'll never forget Decatur Central dropped back to throw. It's fourth quarter. I think we're probably about two minutes left in the game. Decatur Central drops back and tries to throw a wide receiver screen out to the left. And Andre Owens comes back in the backfield, goes flying up in there, intercepts it, and takes it to the house. And we we end up continuing our undefeated season. And so it was a talent. And he's probably never going to be a defensive end at any other level or anything else he does. Oh, absolutely not. But obviously, just again, it's that whole politics versus talent kind of thing, the decisions that had to be made. And that's that's one of the toughest things, especially about football, is that there is a lot of politicking in it. My son does this, or I'm the president of the booster club or the quarterback club or whatever. And some coaches feel that they have to, you know, appease those those parents because they're helping out and so on. Right. And I always when when I coach track, there whenever parents came to me said that my my kids not running or whatever, I always brought a tape measure and a stopwatch. And that ended the conversation. Right. You know, you know, it's easy in, in, in track. You know, you're not faster than this person. You can't throw it farther than this person or you can't jump as high as this person. That's simple, mm-hmm. you know. But in football, you know, you got it's a different dichotomy in which, you know, you got people that, you know, assume that their kid needs to be playing. Well, I'm dealing with that, I'm dealing with that right now as a coach. Okay, I've been coaching receivers at um, Pike since 2014, and I'll tell you that right now, I have two kids who who are seniors who, let me say this way, I have three kids for one spot on the field because I have 
three receivers that already have college, college scholarships out of my four. And I got one position that I got three kids. Two of them are seniors and one of them is a sophomore. And so the interesting thing is that obviously, well, right now is that the sophomore is way more athletic than the other two. Mm-hmm. He has actually never played receiver before in his life, so he's really raw. But he may be one of the most explosive kids on our team as far as talent. And so and I, what I did is kind of what you're talking about is kind of made it concrete. This is the deal. I started one of the seniors the first game. I started the other senior the second game. And I started this, I'm, this week on Friday, the sophomore is going to start. I let all three kids know it ahead of time. The sophomore is going to start here at Ben Davis this week. And yeah. so the interesting part is we've had two games already, even though the sophomore has not started. He's already scored a touchdown. He's re- recovered a fumble. He's recovered an onside kick. And the other two kids have like zero stats at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like it's pretty obvious where this is headed, but I mean, he's just going to get his first start. Then. And so you're letting the numbers and the talent make the decision for you versus, you know, I, I know you're seniors and I, but if you're going to play winning football, those politics have to go out the door. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can't win by playing the senior because he's a senior or playing this kid because he's Mr. Jones son. That's not winning football. Yeah, that, that happened to me. I don't know if you remember this. You were still on the, the coaching staff or not, but we had DJ Green. We, were, we weren't that good, and we had DJ Green starting as a corner, and we played Warren Central. It was like the first game or something like that, and DJ Green had the opportunity to make a tackle and he completely whipped. It's like he was scared to tackle this guy from Warren. And I snatched him. You're done. After that, he never played. He never played for me again. And I always had the moniker: if you can't tackle, you can't play for me. Mm-hmm. You know. And so the dad came in, and he was all upset. You know. And you know why? Why isn't DJ playing now? He was a starting uh, cornerback. And uh, you know, Craig and I and the dad sat down and. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but your son can't tackle. And if you can't tackle, you can't play. You can't play defense for me. I'm, that's it. And and Craig said, there you go, Mr. Green. He, he can't tackle. And if he can't tackle, I'm going with Coach Jay. And um, he, he never touched the field again as a, as a defensive back. And, and that, it's just so important that you do. I mean, if if you're going to play winning football, and it's nothing not, nothing personal about any player or anything like that, but you've got enough. I mean, it doesn't matter if the kid's a sophomore. It doesn't matter if the kid's a senior. It doesn't matter if, like you said, whose parent it is. The understanding is you as a coach, you know what you need on the field. And you can't, you're going to – you're just losing football when you put somebody on the field who is not the best person. So I want to have my four best – receivers on the field and I, I and the interesting thing is this kid who's a sophomore I've already talked to Purdue about him that's how good he is I mean he's that kind of kid and so I'm sitting there like okay this kid is already having conversation with Purdue he's a sophomore and I'm sorry but he's got to play he's got to be on the field <laughs> <laughs> got to be on the field now I got four scholarship receivers on the field now how are yeah. you like, that's why we're undefeated right now, and that's why we're playing ball, because we got guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Mark, when you uh, started coaching at Perry, you, you started at the freshman level or was it at the middle school? I started at the freshman level. Um, so let me give you a story. Um, Craig Potter 
Um, this was before, I don't know how this came about, but me and Ronnie Westmoreland, I'll start before I started coaching her. We, we, when you look at relationships and relationships you build with coaches, one of the things that happened was when me and Ronnie came home from college, we, you know, we knew all, we knew you coaches, you know what I mean? And so I'll never forget Craig Potter was coaching at Greenfield Central. I had never been to Greenfield, Indiana in my life. And me and Ronnie, <laughs> me and Ronnie said, we're going to get in the car and go visit Craig Potter, which is interesting because Craig was neither one of our position coach. Right. We, just liked Craig, we just respected him and liked Craig Potter. So we jumped in the car and we drove to Greenfield Central High School. And it was so funny because we just went in a side door into the gymnasium and there were girls in there doing volleyball. And one of the funniest stories I always tell is that the the volley the, one of the girls served the ball to the other side of the field. You can imagine walking in a gym and the door slamming <laughs> behind you and echoing, you know. And of course, everybody looks over at us. It's like two black guys in Greenfield, you know. What I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah. And it's so funny because the girl served the ball over the net, and nobody even went to go like try to hit it. <laughs> The ball just, it was so quiet in there, you could hear it hitting the ball just bounce, 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 bounce. And then me and Ronnie just looked up, Coach Potter, and then you could see almost every girl just kind of point over to where the football office <laughs> <laughs> Then, of course, we went in the football and Craig was like, hey, you know, like really happy to see us. It's kind of, that's the kind of relationship we had built. Like, it didn't even matter if we were in Greenfield or where he would have saw us. Craig Potter was like about kids you know, and about us, you know what I mean? And so that, that was our first meeting. And then from there, Craig was like, Hey, I don't, you guys even notice I'm going to be the coach at Pyramid and I want you to coach with me. You know what I mean? And that's kind yeah. of how it came about. Okay. Okay. So then, yeah, I came in and I coached, um, coming right in. I, um, actually took a job as a, a teacher's assistant, uh, right out of college. I, I was actually working at a TV station in Indianapolis, but I also took a job as a teacher's assistant at Pyramid in Middle School, but I was coaching freshmen at um, Pyramid in High School. And I came in, I was the head freshman coach right away. And it's very interesting because I came in and I was trying to do something different. I thought, you know, as a coach, this is more in the coaching realm. I didn't, what I didn't understand was what you needed to do to be a great coach. Cause I want being a receiver myself, I wanted to do the exciting stuff. I wanted to come in. I wanted to coach receivers and quarterbacks. And I wanted to throw the ball all over the field. And that's what I wanted to do. So I came in, I'll never get, I can't remember the kid's name, but I, I, first thing I did, I got me a black quarterback, which was obviously something totally different back then. And totally, you know, the politics came to that. Cause there was obviously was a kid in Perry Township who knew he was going to be the freshman quarterback. Yeah. And I came in, put a black quarterback in place, and um, who, who was that? I'm trying to. We still keep in touch, and I cannot think of his name right now because we're Facebook friends. Okay. But I put him in place, and we went in, and um, I'm admit to you, we lost our first four games. We were 0 and 4. And Craig Potter talked to Craig a little bit. He said, "You know what's going to have to happen." And you got to understand, back then we didn't have like a full staff of freshman coaches. It was me and one other coach. Yeah. Uh, what's his name who passed away? Uh, Burtsville? No, 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 no. Um, big, strong guy. Remember, you used to do the stats and all that. Oh, uh, Thornton. Dave Thornton. Yeah. So me and him okay. were coach freshmen. He coached wrestling. He had so many other responsibilities that a lot of times I was left by myself. Yeah. And so I'm trying to coach almost every position on the field. Yeah. But Craig had a conversation with me. He's like, dude, you're not going to be successful until you learn how to coach the O-line. 
And so even in the midst of that, I went in and coached the O-line, and we turned it around right away, and we won our last four games and ended up being a 500 football team. But I learned a lot. I mean, you know, you're coming out of college. I had to learn a lot about coaching yeah. that year. And, and so that's, that's what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, some some people think that, you know, these coaches, you know, they just jump out there and do stuff. They don't know the learning curve of what it takes to to do that, and especially being the head freshman coach. And like you said, you know, Thornton was doing wrestling. He was doing track. He was doing all these other things. And there were times that you were left by yourself and you had to deal with, you know, 45, 50 kids and had to right. organize that and be effective in what you did. And I've never been the kind of person that I, I almost – that's like my life story, putting myself in really tough situations and working my way out of the box. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, in every area that I've been, I've been put in situations. You know, even when I worked at Rise, you got to understand that I was put in an administrative job. I've never, I've never been around anybody with a disability. So I had to yeah. fight, the box around, fight out of that box to be successful. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of, I would say, probably is always been my life story you know i'd go into taylor you know, i'd never been ever anywhere like taylor you know what i mean and fighting myself out of backs to be successful so i think i mean those kind of challenges when you play football and you learn those kind of things there's a lot of life lessons in football you know what i mean that you learn how to fight you learn how to grow you learn how to figure things out and then to be successful you know in what you're doing and so I, that, those are the things the life lessons that i took away with me um but going ahead with Go ahead. I know. I know that you know when you went from the freshman, you came up to the varsity, and you ended up helping helping me a lot with uh, the defensive backs and receivers. And at that time, we didn't have really a what we didn't play one side of the ball. Right. Like we all, like all of us. I yeah. We all played. Yeah. I played. So this is the thing. My senior year, and most people won't even realize this. I was the only person on our football team. You don't know if you remember, they, my nickname became Noodles from Coach Dick. And remember that because he was like, you are all over the place. I was like this energy guy. And so I played off, started offense. I started defense and I was on every special team. So you have to look at this like I would be standing in the middle of the field and 10 guys would go off the field and then the punt team would come on. Come on. <laughs> and then, you know, and so like we had this thing called the Star Award because back then it was kind of like you got that for just making play. I was on the field every play of the entire game, but I had that kind of energy about me. Like I, it didn't bother me. I was never like right. tired or anything like that. I was just that kind of real energy guy was kind of who I was. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't gain an ounce of weight then. Because I, <laughs> I never sat still, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, you uh, as I was saying earlier, you helped me with the defensive backs. With right. uh, I had a, 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 a very – we had – Perry had a very talented group of athletes that came through from about 97 through 2000, probably 2007 or eight. And uh, I had defensive backs that were all pretty equal. And I, I called the defense and came up with the defensive plan. And I relied upon you a lot to uh, get those guys rotated in so they could stay fresh. And whoever you put in there, it wasn't you. I wasn't concerned about if this kid was going to get beat, beat 
or he wasn't going to do his responsibility or anything like that. Because as coaches, and we coach them up what to do in all situations that you can imagine, and we put them in every situation that you can imagine, and you're able to uh, shuttle those guys in, and everybody stayed fresh. And so whenever I needed to do something, hey, man, I appreciate you being there because I turn out there and look, oh, there's Trent out there, okay? And the next time, no, there's Terry Moore out there. The next time – well, there's two things, though. I think that one of the things that because, uh, again, I'm going to go back to the freshman a little bit. One of the two things that I did that I realized, and I don't know whether I have not been out to Perry and been part of the coaching staff now, but one, of, I don't know if you remember this. I would actually, as a freshman coach, send out an all call to everyone in the entire high school to say, I don't, this is part of under standing that you need athletes and you need kids out because our numbers were low before I came there on freshman. I sent out an all call every year that I was there and said, I don't care if you've never played football before, you can do that as a freshman at Fair Meridian. And we ended up what we had to get more we had to buy more equipment because I had a hundred and some kids come out for freshman football. Mm-hmm. Now the the interesting part of that is I found a few diamonds in the rough who had never played football before who were great athletes. Now I got a bunch of kids who could not play. Believe me, <laughs> I got a bunch of kids who could not play. We were having, you know, 50, 60, 70 kids come out for freshman football, which is where you want to be as a program. I mean, you want that's where you want to. Now, you're not going to keep all those kids, but the good thing is by their senior year, you may still have a, a, a class of 2025 students. You know what I mean? And that's right. a nice class of students to have. Yep. You know what I mean? yep. So that was a big thing. And so then those kids came up as we, like you said, they became juniors and seniors. I got moved up. We had undefeated, like by my second year, we were undefeated on the freshman team and then my I went up with that class as they were in the um, JV and they were undefeated as JV that was Terry Moore and that class for Travis Moore Travis Moore and those kids then okay so you're right then we got there part of that was preparing them for varsity so the other thing is not only bringing in numbers but I will tell you and I can tell you of anything in our family People would look at us and say, "Yeah, they, that's they're pretty cocky." But with, <laughs> for me, I'm going to say, "You football is not a sport for the weak of mind. No, you have to bring a certain swag with you and a certain bit of, you know, that with you. You you cannot do that at that level. You can't do it at a high level of varsity football. You can't do it at college level, and you can't do it obviously at the pro level. And not be you can't be mentally weak to do that. And that was something that we brought with us. Even when I coached freshman football, my teams were mentally tough. So if we had a team that could be undefeated. They were undefeated. If we had a team that could play at that level, they were going to play at that level. And that was really, really important. And so when you talk about us being able to put anybody on the field, it wasn't just the physical. It was that they were mentally tough and knew we knew for a fact that this kid was mentally tough. If I put him in the game, he's got what they call now what they he's got that swag to be able to play football at that level. Yeah. Yeah. Is Ike still there? Yeah. Yeah. Ike, this is this is kind of question is going to come go to you you know your your time at Perry Marie under coach Enright and when you graduated you went out to San Francisco Junior College is that right Sacramento City College. Sa- Sacramento City College and right. you were are fortunate enough of all the people that's gone through Perry Marie and so on to play professional football well what was the difference between leaving Perry going through Sacramento and then getting picked up by Cal Berkeley right Right. 
Okay, what was what was that process uh, for you? Well, me when I my senior year here in high school, <clears throat> excuse me, I needed to. My whole thing was I needed to get I needed to get out of the shadows of the offensive players because this was a basketball state. Everybody was concentrating on basketball. I love football because I like contact, and I always thought that that I was better than this person, this person, this person. So when I got the opportunity, my father, he had moved out to California. And so being from the Midwest, my whole thinking was, okay, beaches, girls, this type of thing. And the whole, let me go try this out. So I go out there, and that, I mean, it's warm year-round. So that is going to be a little different than it is in the Midwest. So... I would compare, I guess the analogy that I'll use is here is like driving down Interstate 65 going from here to Richmond doing 65 miles an hour doing a speed limit. Out there, that I think is like more of like being on the Audubon, no speed limit. You got people flying past you, you got to take good technique, mm-hmm. and talking a lot of, lot of mess, a lot of mess. <laughs> Like, okay, here comes this skinny guy, you know, got my little cleats in over my shoulder, got some pro athletes out there practicing. I have no technique, but I just had I had enough skill to stay with these guys and, and kind of hang with these guys. So being out there in Sac- Sacramento, I met my mentor, Napoleon Ingram. Okay. That's when I started learning technique. He had played, he had made the, he had been on the San Francisco 49ers. He went to Sac State, but he made the, he got cut on the very last cut with the 49ers. But I met him, he took me under his wing and he taught me. I remember he had, uh, went to a hardware store and he purchased one of those long door mirrors. Mm-hmm. And he uh, brought it out to practice one day and he told me, he told me to stand up. He told me to walk towards the mirror. So I walked towards the mirror. Then he told me to walk back. And when I walked back, my feet came apart. That's not how you backpedal. Walk forward towards the mirror. Then he told me to walk back exactly how you walk forward. Then he told me to bend my knees. So that's how I learned how to backpedal. Yeah, yeah. And then he, broke, he just kept breaking it down, breaking it down, till eventually it just, it just, just became so instilled in me, okay, this is what you do, this is how you do this. Then he taught me how to read where a person lines up on the field. This is the only route that this person can run. You need to look at this end. If you're in zone, which we never really played a lot of zone, tip me off about how alignment stance, stances are, if they're going to run, if they're going to pass, what, it, what the um, receiver's going to do if he's lined up on the numbers, outside the numbers, inside the numbers. It just became it became this big experiment with me that became so, it was like, just like walking, just normal walking to me. I it became up. part of you. Right. I'm just got, now I'm gaining weight and I'm like one, when I graduated Perry Marine, I was what, 6'2", 162. I'm out here in Sacramento, I'm 6'3", I'm about 180, 185 getting faster and I had gotten faster because I remember doing one-on-ones and the guy I don't even remember who the receiver was all I know is that I was looking at his back 
and his head went back and he caught the ball. It was on a go route. It was a touchdown. I'm like, oh my God. So you can't teach speed. So I started working on my speed, working on my technique, getting my hands on people and stuff like that. So at the end of that, uh, it was, I just, I guess, I guess I kind of came into my own my freshman year out of Sacramento City College being from Midwest because everybody out there is from California and they, you know, they expect to start this, this, and this. And I remember telling my coach, by the end, by, by mid-season, I'll be the starter. I'm going to be the starting corner. And I was, and I balled out that year and I balled out the next year. I started getting a lot of offers from a lot of Pac-10 Pac schools at that time. Washington State, um, Arizona State, Arizona, UCLA, um, East Carolina was calling me, uh, Houston. A lot of schools were calling me. And that, I, I guess at that point in time, it was a rarity that you would have a corner that was a legit 6'3". Yeah. <laughs> running 4'4". And my fastest 40 time was a 4.35. And I mean, it, it was just... I guess it was a blessing in disguise and my thing was I developed that I always had the attitude that whoever I lined up and whoever lines up in front of me it could be Jerry Rice the one thing that remains constant is he put his pants on one leg at a time just like I did so something's gonna happen either I'm gonna win this battle or I'm gonna lose this battle Yeah. so I don't wanna lose this battle so hey let's go and that's been my attitude throughout life, throughout school, throughout, I mean, I try to instill that in my kids. Um, like I said, I, I don't like to lose. I would never tell my kids what, what the thing that you learn about losing is not to lose. So if you got to look at extra film, you got to break it all the way down. You got to break yourself down. You got to look at somebody else because there's always someone else better than you. Yeah, yeah. But you don't go into a situation thinking that, okay, oh, man, he's just shell-shocked or awe-stricken by this person's talent. Because that's, that's a lot of time. A lot of times you're already beat. Yeah, yeah. Now, what was it like when you got uh, picked up by the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns, right? Were you picked up or were you drafted? Drafted. Okay. What was, what, what was that process like? I had come home and uh, – I knew I was going to get drafted. I was still cocky, whatever. And uh, I came home, and the draft was on. I thought I was going to go. Uh, Falcons. My, Mark keeps telling me I was going to go to the Falcons. I don't remember that. I say, <laughs> I stayed home. I was home with him. The Falcons actually called and said they were going to. They actually told him they were going to draft him. So, like, we were like, okay, you're going to Atlanta. And then after the. They called, they picked somebody else. And then the very next pick was Cleveland, and Cleveland picked him. So it's kind of like the emotions of, wait a minute, they just called and said they was going to draft, and you know, you go back. <laughs> and then they didn't. And then the very next pick, the Cleveland Browns drafted him. So it's like, okay, you just moved from one part of the country to another. You and I mean, it was just kind of like, yeah. your whole mental just went from one part of the country to another, which I felt like was a, probably a good switch because Atlanta was kind of a hot spot back then. For black. <laughs> I don't know. I need to be in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you mean there, there was trouble? It was good trouble in Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that the best thing, 
um, pro professional wise that happened to me was the fact that I remember Nick Saban. He was the defensive coordinator yeah. at the time, and uh, the phone rang. We didn't have call ID, I don't think, at that time. But I picked up the phone because I was asleep. And Nick, it, well, I'll tell you about Nick in a minute, but he said, uh, congratulations, you're Cleveland Brown. I hung the phone up. <laughs> so after that, I started getting calls from Contra Costa Times, a lot of California newspapers and things of that nature, because it really didn't dawn on me, because I went, I went in the fifth round, I thought I would go higher. But me being cocky at the time, I didn't put in the work you know, go to the combines and everything, turn down a lot of stuff because I wanted not to get injured, which I should that should have never crossed my mind. But um, after all the newspapers called and everything, the secretary from the Browns called, um, had me a flight ready for the next day to come to Cleveland. So they come and get me from the airport in Cleveland. They take me straight up to Nick's office. So there's another guy that's sitting in there already. It's Antonio Langham. He was the first pick. So we're watching film together. Me, him, me, Antonio, and Nick. Something goes wrong. There was a play. There was a breakdown in, in, on the defensive play. Now, mind you, Antonio and I have not played it down. He is going in on us, talking about what we should have done in this situation. God, you know, I, I don't want to cut it. <laughs> I, I don't know what you did out in the Pac-10, but you can't do this as here. I'm like, I, I haven't even suited up yet. You know? <laughs> it's like, it, it was just a, just a wake-up call. I mean, he's going in on Antonio. And that, that made Antonio and myself pretty close. I have a picture with him um, our rookie year when we were uh, in uh, Kansas City. I, I got that picture. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do. I had it hanging up in my classroom, as a matter of fact. So he became a good friend of mine. And there's a lot of, I've built a lot of good relationships in Cleveland and fans. They're, they're second to none. They say people in Lambeau Field are the best fans. I seriously doubt that. <laughs> and I'll tell you how the world comes around in a circle. Um, my son, Dominique Booth, who was a Mr. Football candidate later in Indiana. So I, I should back up. A lot of what we learned from playing in Perry Township and then me coming back from coaching in Perry Township was very helpful as we start as we got older and started having kids. So my son, Dominique, who, like I said, ended up being a Mr. Football candidate, like I was able to put a lot into him from what I learned. I remember him. I don't know if you remember this. When I was coaching football out at Perry, my son used to, I used to, even when he was like five or six, I used to give him the whistle. And I told the kids, whenever he gets tired of blowing the whistle, it's when y'all going to stop running sprints. <laughs> and he learned to blow the whistle. <laughs> and he's still to this day. He's, he's 26. He's 25. And still to this day, he has a scar on his leg. So I'll tell you this. There was a spot where we had to re- take the top off of the um, the meter thing that went in the ground to turn the water on for the kids to get water for football. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And one day he was running on the field and did not see that, and he his leg went right down in there, and he put a scratch all the way up the side of his leg that was huh. He still has that scratch on his leg. You know what I mean? It doesn't totally go away. You can see it. 
right. to this day because he was like five, maybe five, six years old as a kid out there with the varsity kids at football. And he's still yeah, right. I remember you bringing him to our Sunday meetings mm-hmm. and uh, you stopped by McDonald's or Hardee's and he was probably four or five years old right. and he would eat McDonald's or whatever it was and we would we'd be finishing up our uh, our Sunday morning meetings, wrapping up, uh, preparing yeah, for the next week. People don't understand that there was not huddle back then. So I remember I was the guy who see and this is where I got to know uh, films. what's his name? The coach from um Vendors. Um Kirchner or Dick no, Dullahan. This is how I got to know Dullahan. So I used to be the person, because I was living in the inner city, who delivered our, we used to have VCR tapes, and we had to deliver those to the other team. So there were many times when I went over to Ben Davidson, and I got to sit down with different head coaches. So I'm learning as a coach. I'm a young guy. I sat down with Dick Dullahan when I took film over there, and it wasn't that we were watching Perry Meridian. We were just, he was already watching film when I walked in the door, and we would sit down and watch film together. Yeah. And talk, and I got to know Dick Dullahan really, really well, and some other coaches around the state. You know, you know one thing we did not talk about, Steve. What's that? We did not talk about the um, the fact that when we played football, they had that tiebreaker thing, and they um, everyone didn't make the playoffs. Right. You mean the cluster? <laughs> the cluster system. I don't think people realize that we were ranked in the top 10 in the state of Indiana at Pyramid yeah. Football. And some years we did not make, the, we didn't even make the sectionals because they had only one team from a conference could make the playoffs. Right. And so there were times when we remember, I don't know if you remember this, two years in a row, Perry, Warren, and Lawrence North were good teams. And all of us were ranked in the top five in the state. We would show up at a stadium for a playoff thing because all of us beat each other one time. Right. We would show up at a stadium and they would just like they do overtime. Now they would put the ball on the 10 yard line where there's no full football game. Right. Right. They would right. put the ball on the 10 yard line and each team would have all three teams were there. And we each would have to play each other from the 10 yard line. And whoever won made the playoffs and the other two teams did not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so here it is, Warren Central. That's when Jeff George was at Warren. And I played this right. game, but I'll never forget. This is funny because you think about Jeff George and how he was in the NFL. I would actually knock Jeff George down. But Jeff George, all the way, even when he got in the NFL, could hold the ball to the very last second before he threw it. And so he got hit a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I would drill Jeff George. And he still could throw the ball and put it on the money for a touchdown. <laughs> it was yeah. One of the unique things about this, about Jeff George, was that you could hit him in the mouth and you would hit him in the mouth, but he could hold the ball to the very last second and he would still throw a dime to a receiver. He didn't do that. And he didn't do that in college or the pros. <laughs> no, no, he still did it, but he got hit a lot. And he, he got hit a lot and, and he was hurt a lot. Exactly. Yeah, he was hurt a lot, but he still had that arm. That, that he was, oh, yeah. He could he could sling the rock, as, right. as a matter of fact. But uh, I don't think many people knew about that cluster thing and how different. I mean, and then we would talk to kids from Warren because actually Ronnie Westmoreland's cousins both played for Warren Central. And they would say on their way to win two state championships, they would tell you, you guys are by far the toughest team we played all season. Like all the way through the state championship, it's not even close who was the second best team in the state. But we didn't even make the playoffs back then. Yeah, you guys had athletes, man. I think (laughs) when 
they did the cluster was my first year at Perry. And see, I came to I came to Perry in October of 84 after the first nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the next year, I want to say in, in a couple of years, that's when they went to the system that they are now where the playoffs came. Um, right. Maybe the next year. But my first year there was maybe in the last year of the cluster. And you yeah, got, it, was, it was the 84, 85 year was the last year. And it's just crazy because you think here you are a top five team in the state and you don't even get a chance to be you in. You don't even get a chance to play in the playoffs. At all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. All right, man. I tell you what, I appreciate it. I'm gonna. We're at the top of the hour here. We've been going for an hour, or so this has been a great. And I appreciate um, you guys being on. And uh, this is gonna add to that uh, coaching Falcons piece that I'm putting together. And somewhere within the next few weeks, I'm gonna have it uh, on uh, Spotify or Apple. Uh, uh, podcast or uh, uh, Google podcast and I'll send you guys a link and uh, uh, it'll be out there and if you go and subscribe to uh, Coaching Falcons it's on Spotify right now you'll get the latest updates so I just want to have fun I just want to give a different perspective from different coaches and players and athletes and um, yeah I, I appreciate you guys being on Hey, Coach, I, just before we get off and somebody who's still coaching football to this day at Pike High School, I will say to you that every Friday, the players that are there now need to know that every single one of us who've been there, been there since the early 80s, we talking almost, what, 81 would be, we're coming up on 40 years. <laughs> yeah. You got to yeah. understand, on Friday night, I coach at Pike, so I know my score, but the very next score that I look up is Premier Meridian score. Yep. And they need to know that, you know what I mean? We are waiting on this thing to get turned around and somebody's got to take on that responsibility. And there's coaches out here who it matters to us. And I didn't even tell you this one. I actually, um, Farika, I actually ended up coaching with his nephew here like just a few years ago, who obviously knows the quarterback at Ritter, but he's coaching now. So just interesting because you see kids that you coach come back and now they're coaching and some of those different kind of things. That's a whole different story though. But I just wanted the kids that are there now to really understand that there's a lot of eyes on the Premier program and we would love to see them be successful. And I, I'm not there, so I, I can't tell you by not being there what's needed to be successful, but we are paying attention. Oh yeah. And it's always, it's always like that. The school that you go to high school that you go to, you know, you always look back and you always want to contribute in some way. You know, I'm the same way with the high school I went to, you know, they have a quarterback club and, you know, I give them money every year and I watched, I watched the box scores. I'd see how they did. You know, there's, there's a parent that, that does Facebook live and I get to watch the games every Friday night, you know? So yeah. Um, that's that's awesome, man. Appreciate it. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, stop the recording right here, and we can still have have a little conversation, but we'll we'll move on from there. All right. Uh, and I and I got, yeah, I got. We have come together to fight for victory. 
as friends with one another. Two, two, five, one one big family. Zero. So come on, my Falcons, let's, let's join in on the fun. One. Our team is finally ready strong, to fight for number one. Cover one. Our team includes one, many three, seven, things five, to help us win this fight. Guts one, cover one, poise. Zero, three, Tomahawk, cover three. And if we don't do what is right, we'll find out what is right. Our team will never give up. Our team will never give up. Our team will never give up. We've been fighting for too long.